Part 3 The Onset of Cabin Fever and Other Shenanigans Chapter 9 Becoming One with Cabin Fever Letters to Others and Myself In middle school, I learned the power of the letter. I had some money to purchase a stick of Jolly Ranchers, only to find the wrapper fused to the individually wrapped candy. The candy was inedible. The dissatisfaction was unacceptable. I wrote to the corporate office of the manufacturer and disclosed what had happened, except the details may have been overblown, much like this entire memoir. There was excessive use of a fictional distraught sibling whose only wish was to feast on a Jolly Rancher so that he could focus better on grades once again. There was catastrophic emotional damage that they needed to be mindful of resulting from their improper wrapping. This formal complaint was a product that stemmed out of boredom, more or less. The unforeseen result was that the company replied weeks later with a padded envelope. Inside were three sticks of Jolly Ranchers with a new wax-coated paper wrapping. The candy eased out of the wrapper like Christmas presents. A letter accompanied the envelope, thanking me for bringing the poor quality to their attention. They had transformed their wrappers in response to some of my slightly doctored details. It is amazing, the authority of letters. I'd always read the letters that old historical figures wrote, wondering, who the hell talks like that? The expressions were so over the top. We unearthed what that must have been like to live in an era without a phone on a small scale. You had to make your words count because the dialogue cycle routinely met gaps of weeks or months. A handwritten letter could never match the negligent content or pace of modern texting. Opening a long-anticipated letter from your loved one with only the words WTF or LOL or even one-liners. Not even a postcard gets that much mockery of communication appreciation. One modern-day glance at all of my recent texts would surely fail at being decent individual letters. The combination of text mentality married with letter writing could never materialize. I almost wish it did for the sake of science. In Montana, writing letters became an event. So much time, patience, and care are required to produce a handwritten message. Even receiving one is difficult on the occasions when reading upon receipt is not viable. Care and preservation of that letter must occur. An email is simple. Read it or flag it to read later, or simply delete it. To throw away a letter is almost like discarding a possession or a gift. With so much tangible care taken to craft one, the recipient becomes a de facto curator of the papers. Far more responsibility that a busy or ill-prioritized person cannot accommodate. With enough time that has passed, an entire generation has cycled through having never written or received letters. Letters were written to anyone that had an address. It was an all-out onslaught. Sometimes we were writing to stay in touch. Sometimes we were writing just to spread the hysteria and make people giggle. At times, the two entwined, and it was a grand event to be a part of. Letters rhymed, hosted pictures, 
communicated feelings, misled truths, told disconcerting truths, romanticized the mundane, showcased drawings, told fictional stories, and conducted shock and awe, much like this memoir. Some letters had secret messages embedded within, which called for a decryption device to reveal the true message. Secret statements of such unreasonable darkness that teasingly doctored words of such deep petulance. I even drafted a letter to myself so that Andy could give it to a friend. The intent? So she would think I was losing my mind. Why the hell would you want to do that? Because you have to make offerings to the cabin fever gods from time to time. And those deities had an insatiable appetite. I listened to Led Zeppelin tapes while writing a short letter to Heather. I told her that Brad has been writing letters to himself and hanging them on his wall. I told her I took one down and sent it to her, so she believes me. Brad wrote a letter to himself and I put it in her envelope. His idea. We laughed. Calms, 1-14-2000 There are so many notes we did not write. Letters by each of us to the same person that told the exact opposite story. My five-paged hyped-up of snow abundance in Montana counters Andy's seven-page rant of disbelief about how January's halfway over and there is still no snow. There was a wormhole of potential left on the draft board. Yet, we had a good run nonetheless. The elements of a letter were married to its intended audience. How did you want the letter reader to respond? Was it shock? Was it to be informed? Hopefully, the content was a little funny and original. The most important question was, will they ever forget about it? Probably so, but piecing together unforgettable prose was a reasonable endeavor. There were consequences if recipients did not respond. The letters escalated and became incessant. We showed no mercy. Brian Ray Day. All I did today was draw a picture of Brian Ray, write him a letter, and listen to the radio, hoping to hear Dream Theater's new single. Calms, 10, 11, 99. Brad wrote a hilarious Mad Lib letter for Brian Ray tonight. Calms, 10, 13, 99. Brad gave me a funny idea for Brian Ray's card. It is a Christmas tree with a bunch of random definitions written all over it. I think it's funny. Calms, 12, 16, 99. We tried letters. We tried Christmas cards. This man was a tremendous human being and a great friend that I had known since high school. He later developed into a key provider of free pizza while he lived in Nashville and worked at Domino's. He was without a nasty bone in his short-statured body, but he was not responding. We had received no letters from him. A new theater of war was upon us. Looking the part, smelling the part. It did not take long to look pathetic. I already looked pitiful far before I ever set foot in Montana, but damn did we take it to a far-reaching level from the get-go. Shaving became an extreme rarity. Haircuts did not exist. Not until the styles were tinged with cabin fever, at least. The choice of clothing was determined by smell and not by color coordination. Could I wear this another day? In defense of clothing reuse, I deemed it more as clothing efficiency 
we had to take our clothes all the way into town, and once we could no longer park the Aloha at the cabin, we had to haul those clothes back and forth a third of a mile through the snow. There was no condoning the omission of showering, though. The task requires minimal effort, and there was even hot water available to us. Showering got so uncommon that I would notate my shower days in my journal. That was devotion to the part, if I must say so. Look the part, act the part, smell the part. Undergarments would still get changed and routine hygiene tasks were performed. We were hermits, but not animals, after all. As time flowed downriver, there came a level of shaming that took place between Andy and me should we make subtle attempts at restoring our appearances. That included showering. Shower shaming was rampant. In the cabin, if one of us showered, then there would be only one person left to stink everything up. And that was way too much of a burden to put on either. Passive-Aggressive Wise Men We dashed through the snow. Babies were cold outside. Andy, the drummer boy, was becoming the angry drummer boy that hated painting. Yet, we found joy to the world because Christmas time arrived in Flathead County. We required a Christmas tree, and Brian had still not written a letter back. It was time to kill two birds with one stone, or chop two trees with one hatchet. Except, we only needed one tree, and birds had nothing to do with our undertaking. I was excited to go out in the snow with a hatchet and hunt down a near-perfect Christmas tree. We wandered for half an hour on Uncle Hal's property but couldn't find any, so we split up and headed out on state forest land. Splitting up turned out to be a bad idea because every time I saw a tree that might be a candidate, Brad wasn't there to confirm. I stood by a patch of trees that looked decent and shouted for Brad, but I thought he was too far off to hear me. I stood until I had a good layer of fresh snow covering me, then started off to look for Brad. After I lost the patch of trees, I found Brad. He had heard me calling but didn't feel like answering. At the spot we met up was the perfect tree, but over about 20 yards was an even better one. By perfect, I mean the ratio of branches to bare spots was nearly 50-50. It didn't take long for the hatchet to bring the tree's life in the wild to an end. We then had the non-luxury of carrying it the 200 yards back to the cabin. I nearly puked from sudden fatigue, but luckily there was nothing in my stomach to be regurgitated. The tree was about 18 feet long and not extremely light. We quickly organized the living room to make way for the tree, got the tree into place, trimmed it down, knocked it over, got it back into place, put on Christmas music, drilled holes in the bare spots and filled them in with trim branches, strung lights around it, then garland, then the ornaments that Grandma sent, then Brad took a picture of me putting the star that I had just made with Brian Ray's face on it on top of our wonderfully tall and pathetic Christmas tree. Being that Brian Ray is a good friend and hasn't responded to our letters, we're calling this a Brian Ray Christmas. See? We're losing it! Brad's been talking to himself in the shower. I've been trying to beat the demons out of my head by bashing it against the wood posts in the hall. It works. Calms 12 99 Obvious proof that if one messes around and does not respond to weird letters, they will wind up getting a Christmas holiday and tree named after them. This war could not be fought with words like the run-verse-walk feud from before. This meant... Andy and I had to set aside our differences in the hierarchy of foot travel and form an alliance. We had to adapt. The tactics grew fierce, 
and we had to show we acted beyond the bluff. We would get dirty if the call of duty demanded it from him and me. We heaved that mammoth pine through 200 yards of deep snow back to the cabin, then put a finely cut-out picture of Brian's face on a star at the top of that towering evergreen, just to prove a point. The escalation of force would not soon be over. Letter Covert Ops Motivation has an army of worthy adversaries. Besieging the fortified perimeter marched forces of constant seclusion and a cavalry of gray skies. Horse-drawn catapults quickly deployed, spitting out fireballs burning of boredom to weaken motivational defenses. Wall-breaching ladders lay in wait for a second-phased attack. The siege would last for weeks. Happiness supply chains broke down entirely. Surrender seemed imminent. It is from that darkest hour of despair that heroes rise against their aggressors. With a wall burning to near ruins, cabin fever arose from those ashes with such might and ferocity that the encirclement would soon be fully dismantled. Disbanded armies pillaged as spoils of war. And so ends a ridiculous introduction to further ridiculousness. What is the tally of eye rolls now? My sources have it at 55. A new year sailed steadily upon us. A new millennium had passed without a hitch. We had written letters, Christmas cards, and even made a Christmas tree in Brian's honor. Yet the mission remained incomplete. The job left undone. He still did not respond. Party! I continued to live in my nocturnal way. I wrote a little in my band description and played a little guitar. Then I showered and got ready for the Brian Ray Party 2000. Being that he won't return our mail, we've decided to write him letters responding to what his letter might have been had he sent them. To start the party, we got dressed up and played 3D tic-tac-toe. I think I won, but it was too weird to be sure. We then played sequence. Brad freaking won. Damn it! After the games, we struggled to think of things that Brian would have written in a letter. We're going to send him the Christmas tree star, too, because we told him it was his idea. The reason for this insanity is simply so maybe Brian will feel inclined to write to us and find out what the hell we're talking about. I hope it works. I want to hear from the guy. Calms, 1-22-2000 Yes, we pitched a party to observe him for not writing us back. Yes, we wrote letters, feigning to be him, forwarded to ourselves, we found no other choice in lieu of his belligerent boycott. Mission accomplishment was essential. He needed to be learned. We would not back down from this oppressive neglect, the alliance emboldened by stout resolve. Unconditional Surrender Cinco de Mayo Americans celebrated as a French invasion halted by Ignacio Zaragoza and his Mexican army. Why do Americans celebrate it? Because margaritas taste amazing, and because on May 5th, 2000, Brian formally surrendered by finally responding with a letter. After seven months of posted letters, Christmas cards, Christmas trees, and year 2000 parties involving fake letters, I looked forward to how we could end this saga with an unprecedented bang. A letter to end all letters. Or perhaps something grander than even that. He stole that opportunity away from us. Post Office. Four letters for me. 
one from Mom, Wayne, Heather, and a person named, are you ready? Named, you won't believe this, Brian Ray. About time, Brian Ray kicks butt. Calms 5-5-2000. This conflict ceased. The feeling, bittersweet. Such turmoil was not supposed to matridilope this way. A series of salient battles must end in a manner worthy of being historical. I sought to be Genghis Khan, and this would become my great wall of China, an unstoppable force meeting a poponodoxical object. Such a war can never be over. 135 years earlier, on May 5th, the Confederacy was dissolved. They had war reparations to be paid. This war would have reparations of their own, with terms not yet disclosed.